Welcome to the Faith Today podcast, conversations inspired by Canada's Christian magazine. Alistair Stern's book, Rhythms for Life, Spiritual Practices for Who God Made You to Be, is a guide to living better by coming to know ourselves a little better, and then a push, or maybe better, a nudge, into spiritual practices that can help us draw closer to God and others. Alistair is the founding and lead pastor of St. Peter's Fireside in Vancouver, and is canon of church planting for the Anglican Network in Canada. When writing about spiritual formation, Alistair writes, there is no one-size-fits-all approach. Who you are matters. You are a significant factor in your plan for spiritual formation. I don't know about you, but I find that not a one-size-fits-all approach to be a relief. My name is Karen Stiller, and I hope you enjoy this interview. Alistair, what is a rhythm for life? A rhythm for life is simply a set of habits, disciplines, and practices that help someone flourish in life. And a rhythm for life chooses practices in light of who that person is uniquely made to be. Okay, this sounds a lot like a rule for life. So help us understand the difference. Yeah, it pretty much is a rule for life. In my own ministry context, we shifted away from using the the word rule for life to rhythm for life just to communicate that we think a rule for life should be dynamic and it should change and it it should shift as you grow as a person, but also as you go through seasons of life and stages of life, your practices and habits and disciplines need to be sensitive to who you're becoming and what's going on in your life. So the word rhythm helps also protect against falling maybe into a bit of a legalism where you start thinking that the practices are, if you don't fulfill them all the way that you envision that somehow you're a bad Christian or you're failing to please God. And so the goal is to remind people, whatever spiritual discipline or practice you have, uh, it's always just a means of grace. It's not the grace itself. It just opens you up to grace. And there's going to be different practices that better accommodate you for that in, in different seasons. So a rule sounds, well, we just don't like the word rule sometimes, right? Yeah, I think that's part of it. And again, the book is deeply contextual. So it came out of my own ministry and playing around with different language. We were just trying to find the one where people, it was more disarming. Yeah. And and rule, yeah, guards went up. People think, you know, strict and it's not life-giving. And it's, and again, that's never the intent of what a rule for life has traditionally been. So it was just trying to take the heart of it and, and, and rephrase it for this generation. And your subtitle, which you've just alluded to anyways, Spiritual Practices for Who God Made You to Be. And when I read that, I felt actually relieved almost instantly uh, because I'm such a failure (laughs) at so many um, good habits that other people practice. And I compare myself to them and then I get in this ditch of... um, you know, self-blame where I get mad at myself and think, oh, I, I can't even do this and it's disabling. So can you speak to that? Why do our personalities matter in this? Yeah, I've, there's a quote by C.S. Lewis where he says, you know, a million little Christs wouldn't be enough to reflect his, his great personality. And, and he goes on to say, actually, it's not until we're in Christ that we ever really have a personality of our own. But taking that to its logical end, it means that the inherent diversity within the body of Christ is supposed to be celebrated and not made uniform. And so 
the problem with spiritual practices is we, we often promote expressions of a particular practice that are suited to a specific kind of temperament and then overlook how it might not work for another kind of temperament. So take the artist. They're told you should read your Bible in a year. And they're just not a structured or linear person. They're more a circular person, let's say. Um, and then they discover, oh, if I take a psalm and then I illustrate it and I reflect on the psalm as I'm drawing the images of the psalm, I actually encounter God's presence. Well, which practice of Bible reading should they adopt? And that's that's the argument of the book is that for any given spiritual practices ranging from you know scripture to gratitude to uh, stewardship, you name it, there's many different expressions of practice. Just in Bible reading alone, you have Lectio Divina, you have uh, the Ignatian uh, contemplation of passages, you have Bible reading plans or Bible apps or small portions that you meditate on. What I try to do is say, you should pay attention to who God has made you to be, who God's calling you to become, and discern what are the practices that help you move toward him. So often, if someone's struggling to read the Bible every day, the problem might not be their love for the Bible or even with them, but that they haven't felt the freedom to discover a practice that works for them or a cadence of the practice that works for them. Okay. What about being stretched? Because um, sometimes I think, well, okay, I'm not enjoying this because of my personality maybe, but maybe it's good for me. Uh, so should should spiritual practices hurt? <laughs> yeah, I, seasonally, sure. Um, okay. But like any training, eventually the hurt changes. Mm-hmm. And if if you've been trying the same thing and it just hasn't stopped hurting, if you were exercising for a marathon, let's say, Uh, and you had a coach, they'd say, well, something's really wrong here. Like you should be getting stronger and and it should be getting easier. And and so, yes, there is a stretching. Like I I would actually say every Christian should try to read the Bible in a year, at least a couple times in their life. But do you need to do that every single year? Probably not. Now, some people do and they love it and it's life-giving to them and they can take in that quantity of information every day and they can stick to it. But for many people, that's just not attainable. And so it's more giving people permission to say, look, like, yes, there's going to be a stretching always in any kind of discipline, but we still also need to pay attention to the disciplines that anchor us in the grace they're supposed to anchor us in. It is a, it's a tension we have to navigate. You know, I, I talk about Moses in the book, and obviously he didn't want to be a prophet, but God stretched him. Yes. Uh, but God also accommodated him, gave him Aaron. And so in the stretching, I, mm-hmm. I think we can focus more on the stretching than also God's willingness to accommodate us in the stretching. Yeah. To use that parallel, one of the accommodations is perhaps finding a, an expression that more readily connects to your heart. Still going to take discipline, still going to take effort uh, and resilience and all those characteristics. But just a more gracious approach to practices is what, is what I'm really after in the book. And there's also a breadth of practice that you list off. And I think that's really helpful too to expand what we think of as spiritual practices, that it's it's not just reading your Bible. It can be uh, intentional hospitality with your neighbor, for example. Could you speak to that? Yeah, I, I have a very broad view of, of Christian practice. Um, in the biggest picture, I would say a Christian practice is 
anything a Christian does in the name of Christ. So like you took a sip of water, that's a Christian practice on some level, if you give thanks to God. Um, and so I, I would say, you know, traditionally people have said, you know, there's aesthetic practices, there's anthropological practices, you, you can kind of divvy them up. And, and there's going to be ones that are more formative for us. So the trifecta in Protestant circles are, you know, scripture, prayer, community. And, and those are good and important practices. And we should uh, prioritize those practices and find expressions of those practices that work well for us. But there's other practices commanded in scripture that we just seem so content to overlook. Practicing gratitude in the form of rejoicing and thanksgiving. Like it's not a suggestion in scripture. It's not like, oh, this might actually be something helpful to you when you feel the mood. It's like you're, you're commanded, rejoice, give thanks in all circumstances. And yet putting that into practice, there's lots of ways we can do that. Similarly, these, these commands to, to extend hospitality both within the body and beyond, um, there's lots of practices that can accommodate that, whether it's the practice of inviting a neighbor over or inviting someone you just met out for coffee or checking in on those who you know who are sick. There's so many different practices. And we can miss that um, God is forming us through these practices. And I think sometimes we, are, we tend to think, well, he just forms us through the most spiritual practices, you know, the scripture, prayer, worship. And, and I'd say he forms us through all these practices so long as they're, they're given to him and, and inviting him to, to use them. And again, some are going to be more formative. Like I'm, I'm always going to bank on scripture being the most formative practice, but it's not the only practice. And yeah. if it was the only practice, you would be seriously malformed. Yeah. You know, I, I would say that's like like committing to Atkins for your whole life. Like you can't eat that amount of protein for your whole life and your body be okay. Like you 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 need a well-balanced, holistic approach to practices. And some are going to be more substantial for sure. Uh, James K. A. Smith calls them thick pr- practices, right? The ones that are going to more shape your identity and your sense of purpose in life. And that's what I'm after in the book is, is those kinds of practices specifically. Yeah. And you very helpfully, um, you sort of divide that part of your book and the discussion about practices into these four parts. And I'd love for us to just define each one and maybe give a few examples. So it starts with up, upward to God. Can you, I think, I know right away that you must be talking about prayer and Bible reading, I guess, but t- tell us more about that category. Yeah, so in that category, I'm trying to help people imagine practices that help them move onward and upward to Christ in life. The Apostle Paul talks about forgetting what lies behind and pressing on to what's ahead. And and that's fundamentally about identity. And so what are these practices that really root our identity within the story of God, within his presence? And, And so I explore solitude with God. Um, rather than calling it Bible reading or quiet time, it's solitude with God. How do we withdraw to be with God? And and then I outline a few different practices. So I use the daily offices. Someone else might use a Bible app. Another person might practice Lectio Divina. Some other person might sit down and really read through the scriptures. But in that quiet time or devotional time or that solitude with God, where it's just you and the Lord in a place where you can attend to his presence, 
what practices will you bring in there? And it could be, it could be many, but the practice itself is solitude with God. And that's the important practice. That's what you need to guard, even if what you do within that time changes. Yeah. Uh, in that chapter, I also explore gratitude because I argue along the lines of Robert Emmons that gratitude sustains us uh, in a grace-based worldview. And therefore, it moves us onward and upward to God because we're receiving life as a gift. We're recognizing uh, everything as an opportunity to give thanks to God. And I explore, again, different ways you can you can do that. And then I also suggest Sabbath keeping mm-hmm. um, as a, a 24-hour period of rest. So I don't advocate for a specific day. You know, my family, we've, we've kept it, you know, sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, not because that's you know, traditionally when it's been done in ancient Israel and modern day Israel, but just because it's functionally what works for us. But I make a, a strong case that like that practice, it's not just about the rest we need. It's also about moving onward and upward to God, that this actually puts us back into the rhythms of creation, that this is how things are meant to be. That uh, as a friend pointed out to me, like the first day of human living was on the Sabbath. And that says something about why we were created. Yeah, that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. And so those are just a few practices I highlight saying these help us move upward to God. Yeah. Whether it's in our time with God or whether it's in our perspective of life as a gift or syncing ourselves with the, the rhythms of creation. Um, those are just some ideas. And you write, uh, when it comes to solitude with God, there are two principles that you must apply, set aside time and find a place. So that hints to me of the habit part of this, that doing something intentionally and over and over again is good for us. Yeah. And and be gracious with that too. Like I used to be like seven days a week. Um, first thing I do is I get up, make myself a cup of tea, and and then I get out my journal, my Bible, and it was like an hour. And then we had kids. And so <laughs> right. then I started drinking coffee. And and then I I, I started feeling guilty because it's like I just couldn't carve out that time. I was too tired. There was too many demands. Um, you know, I didn't want to just like throw it all on on my wife Julia and be like, well, I need my quiet time. Like she needed her quiet time too. And so what I became comfortable with was like, well, what if I aim for like four or five days a week then for like a half hour or 20 minutes? And, and so I, I actually personally have like two slots that I can rotate between depending on how the morning goes. Hmm. So my ideal is like before the girls get up, but if I can't get myself out of bed before the girls get up, then it's like right between like dropping them off at school and getting to the office and being gracious with ourselves that life happens and the Lord isn't freaking out. He's like, <laughs> oh no, like Alistair Stern in Vancouver, British Columbia failed to carve out 30 minutes of his morning. Like the Lord was with me in the chaos. Yeah. That's really important. Yeah. And like, I think he cares more that I'm loving my daughters well than like neglecting them and stressing out my wife and, you know, just so I could be alone with him. Yeah. I like the idea of the uh, alternate time. Like, uh, so if you miss the morning, you, you're not like, Oh, well that's it. Uh, there's some grace built into that too. That's pretty yeah, nice. And I think it's important just to know when that time is even if it if it's adjusting day to day week to week 
Yeah. So your second category is in uh, inward to self. And I, I want to read you one of my favorite lines from your book, turning our attention toward ourselves for the purpose of self-examination isn't easy. We prefer illusions of ourselves. Amen. <laughs> it, it's so true. I've always wanted to buy like a, a circus mirror, you know, like that stretches you out and make that my bedroom mirror. Cause you know, the amount of time I spend like picking out my clothes and standing in front of the mirror to behold myself <laughs> and to deny what I see, right? Like I'm not actually, no one's ever truly pleased with what they see in the mirror. So it's actually a practice of self-denial. So like, why not just accept the skewed vision that I'd rather live with? And, and so I think practices of inward to self are, are these kind of courageous and vulnerable attempts to accept the whole portrait, to say, you know what, this is the whole picture. Uh, a really defining idea in that chapter for me is from the psychologist, David Benner, who said, you know, you can't crucify what you deny. Mm, yes. So, so often we want to like deny our sin. Like we want to just get rid of it, that we must first accept it as part of ourselves, as part of the whole picture, because we can't crucify what we, we don't first accept. And, and that was so revolutionary for me. Because it moves away from sin management. It moves away of th from thinking we can control it. It moves away from just trying to separate like, well, sin isn't really part of me. Like it's the bad part of me and Christ dealt with that. It's like, no, this is like, this is me still. It's my flesh. It's my old self. I understand that. It's still there. And so rather than using self-hatred to crucify it, um, stepping into the love of God that while we were at our worst, Christ Jesus died for sinners, that at our points of blemish, that's who God loves and loved. Yeah. And, um, and so the, it's this invitation to keep coming out of that illusion of, of just highlighting what we'd prefer to see in ourselves. And so there's certain practices I advocate for, uh, self-examination being the, the core one of how do we, how do we examine ourselves without becoming narcissistic? Mm -hmm. It's really what I'm trying to accomplish in that chapter because we I think we're actually moving into an age of self-examination culturally where everybody wants to, to do the personality types or go to counseling and, and it can become a bottomless well. Like I've found like the more I peer inward, the more I struggle to understand who I am. So how do we examine ourselves in a way that's healthy, that doesn't avoid self-reflection, but also brings that into discovering Christ within rather than just ourselves within. And so self-examination, um, there's so many different practices, whether it's journaling or uh, using certain liturgies to help you confess. Uh, I explore the role of stewardship, like part of self-examination should be how I'm not just like a checkbox of, am I stewarding these things? Well, relationships check, you know, sin check, finances check. Instead saying, Stewardship is fundamentally about how do I relate to things? So someone could be like stewarding their finances brilliantly, right? Saving, their investments are growing, they're generous, they're giving. And yet like money could still have like a completely innate grip on their hearts. And they could actually be stewarding money poorly because it's an idol. Okay. And but in an accountability group, if it's just a checklist, like, yeah, I'm saving, I'm giving. And so self-examination in the form of stewardship looks at how do we relate to what's been entrusted to us? 
How do I relate to my finances? How do I relate to other people? How do I relate to my technology? And where do I need God to show up in that? And so the goal in, in that process is to find our lives hidden in Christ, mm-hmm. that who we are is hidden in him, and yet mysteriously he dwells in us. And it's this, this dynamic discovery of, of who he's made us to be through a variety of practices. So my new favorite word is withward, which I absolutely love, which is your third category of um, being in community. And uh, you write, is my participation in the local church mostly for my benefit or for the overall health of the body? Which is a really probing question, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have to admit that chapter, I was being a little bit cheeky in the sense of as a pastor, it's like, oh, this is a great opportunity to say the things I want to say to my church, yeah. but not in a sermon. Um, <laughs> and and so I'm I'm trying to flush out some of like, my own understanding of what it means to participate in the church that quite frankly has nothing to do with me being a pastor. Like it's my own convictions about belonging to the body well before I ever was a pastor. And, and what I think we need to evaluate in, in these withward rhythms is yes, we, we should be getting nourished from the body of Christ, but, if we're not careful, we, we just default into patterns of consumerism that the church, you know, is providing spiritual nourishment to me. That's the product. And if it doesn't nourish me in the way I demand, right. Something's wrong with the product. I move on. Like it so quickly falls there. So yes, like God willing, you're being fundamentally nourished through word and sacrament in your local body. Uh, I, I hope that's happening. And of course, if that's not happening, if there is legitimate, issues yes there's reasons to maybe leave but let's say you are like the the primary means of grace are there there's word there's sacrament there's good enough community what does it mean for us to surrender our idealism to surrender our high expectations and to walk into the reality of of the messy church which is beautiful and also never exactly what we want it to be and you know i talk about the one another commands like they don't work without a problem. So, right. That's so like, so forgive good. one another. We're like, yeah, that's great. That's great. It's like, <laughs> oh, that implies like someone's going to do something I have to forgive. Like, we don't, we don't want to look at the inverse side of it, but that's the church. And, and so I, I just explore like, what are the ways we can contribute to the body, like using our spiritual gifts and what practices do you need? So if you have a gift of hospitality, let's say, there's, there's going to be habits that you have within the body to exercise that gift, whether it's hosting a, a group in your home or you know, serving on a Sunday hospitality team, whatever it may be. Um, but I also look at the role of spiritual friendship within, within the body. In that one, it's, it's almost like my acknowledgement that like you can't, no church can program that sort of relationship for you. No small group can make sure it happens. Uh, those might be the avenues by which you meet someone, but that to develop a true spiritual friendship where it's like in the depths of our souls, we're sharing and we're connecting and we're being seen and known. That that comes through an intentional choice to choose someone that you resonate with, of course. And ideally, I was about to answer my own question because I don't think this is true of you. I was I was going to say, ideally, should that person be in your local church that you attend? But I don't think I mean, maybe because you're the minister, that's more difficult anyway. But 
I mean, yes and no, right? Like it, it it's hard because you, I'd say I, I have one or two friends within my, my local body, uh, the church I'm the pastor, uh, where, yeah, that, I have those friendships. Um, I don't highlight them in the book. I highlight maybe a longer one that I, I wanted to highlight it because it's kind of unusual that my, you know, my closest friend, we've never lived in the same city. Right. Uh, we're like adult pen pals. Um, <laughs> and, and I mean, we've, we've obviously spent time together, you know, substantial amounts of time, but, um, but within the body, even as a pastor, I, I, I had to get to the point where I was like, no, I reject the notion that somehow I can never have a true friendship in this context. And I just, I, I knew I wouldn't be able to have many friendships in that context. Like and I had, had to keep it small, but I chose two people and I said, all right, let's have a DTR. Like, DTR I, meaning? I define the relationship, sorry. Oh, I, 70% oh, of our church are between 25 and 35. So I'm using, Okay. I don't even think that's cool lingo anymore. So Yeah. Okay. So I totally missed that. That's how uncool I am. I missed <laughs> that part where that was cool. Yeah. So, you know, I, and just saying like, okay, for me, I need to be able to crack a joke that would make you uncomfortable if right. I was your pastor. Yes. And now you might correct me because it's an inappropriate joke, but not on the basis of being a pastor. Right. Just because it's the basis a bad of joke. Being a Christian. <laughs> and, and that was just, you know, a bad example, but yeah, no, I get and, it. And, and so in that it's, yes, I'm undeniably their pastor still. Like they, they hear my sermons and, and sometimes I even provide pastoral care, but there's an awareness that no, like I'm first and foremost, their friend. Yeah. And that's possible in the body. It just, you got to be wise about, about those relationships as a pastor. But. Yeah. And there's something like for the non-pastors among us, um, sticking with the same body that I think mm-hmm. is very powerful because that's really when people are going to start to annoy you and hurt you and that, those commands to love one another and forgive one another and so on really, uh, you know, the rubber hits the road when you stick around a while. Yeah, and that's that's the goal of the chapter of saying you're not actually ever going to really reap the benefit of how a church can nourish you, like what right. you get out of it, unless you're there a long time. Yeah. And yeah. I, and you see it through the ugly parts and the disappointing parts, and you endure through unmet expectations and and all of that. Yes. Uh, that's that's how you get through to the the beauty and the goodness of it. Yeah. And, and, you know, serving together. And of course, your fourth category is outward and mission. And I think, um, you know, I personally serve best in community and with the support of my community. So uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about outward and mission. So in that chapter, again, I'm, I'm trying to connect um, John 15. Is I don't explicitly explore John 15 in the book, but Jesus says, abide in me, and depart, you know, abide and go, be with me and be sent. And so the, the conviction of the books is we're, we're formed for mission. Uh, and that if we're not moving outward, um, it's a sign that we're malformed in some way. But I try to expand this sense of what does it mean to participate in God's mission beyond just, well, go and tell someone about Jesus. Of course, that's important. Of course, we need people doing that. But I define mission as God's love on the move, that God is moved toward the world and us with love, demonstrating that in the incarnation of Christ, his death and resurrection and ascension, ascending of his spirit so that we can get caught up on God's love in the move. 
uh, that even when new creation comes, that the mission of God doesn't end. His love will still be on the move, still dynamic, still doing good things. And so with that vision of love as the driving force of mission, the question is, how do we join God's love on the move? And I love that you highlighted, like, you do that better with others. Like, of course mm-hmm. you do. Like, we were made for relationships. And, and yes, sometimes there's people who, who have callings to an individual ministry and they make huge sacrifices, but I don't think that's the way it's meant to be. And the goal is to discover how you can get caught up in that love on the move. Um, you know, the, one of the categories I look at is just faith and work. Like, how's God's love on the move just in whatever your career or work you know, the primary thing that occupies your, your daily time. Yeah. What does it look like to join his love on the move in that? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, of course you can explore, like, what does it mean to serve uh, within the church? Uh, And that's important, but I think the church sometimes gets myopic on that. I think we think if someone can just get serving in our ministries, you know, like hospitality team or the band or a care team or, or whatever, because there's so many needs we lose sight that all of that serving is just like the training ground for people to go out and serve in the world. Right. Uh, and if we're not careful, we can so over-program people that all of their time is caught up serving the church that they, they fail to serve their, their neighbors or their, their neighborhood. And, and so what practices help you stay in touch with your neighborhood? So for me, uh, walking everywhere. Now that, that works because I live in an urban center, right? But I walk everywhere uh, to the grocery store, to my office. It, it keeps me in touch with the, the people who are actually neighbors in a rather large area and uh, helps me see what's going on here. It keeps my heart ideally engaged with the city. That's a good practice for me. And, and on particularly holy days, I might even pray while I walk uh, when I remember to, or if I'm not on the phone or, or, or whatnot. But the, there's an in, I think there's a creativity that we can bring to participating in God's mission. That any way in which we, whenever we love, I think that's a part of God's mission. And ideally that love helps illuminate the glory of Christ. But that's not usually in a post-Christian context like Canada where we can start anymore. Mm-hmm. It just takes a lot more time. And, and God appears to be very content and patient with that reality from my experience it, you know, I, I've I've seen so many people open themselves up to chances to share the gospel with someone, and, and there's no positive response. So uh, the issue, I don't think, is always just some, the church's faithfulness to do that. The issue is that uh, it, it's a long process in this new context to to share the love of God in such a way that someone professes Christ as Lord. Yeah, yeah. Well, I really like. Um... And we've started to try to do this more and more, see our neighbor as our neighbor, (laughs) you know, like our literal neighbor as Mm. someone to love and reach out to and serve and and have genuine friendship with. And I think that's so helpful in this uh, living out of that spiritual rhythm. Um, Alistair, the the other thing that is so great about your book, um, which probably seems so simple and obvious to you, but the literal writing down of your rhythm of life, like almost creating a document or a living document or something that you can tweak that really maybe because of my personality and who God made me to be, but that really uh, appeals to me, uh, that intentionality. Why, why is that important as we wrap up, just sort of getting it down on paper? Uh, the, the whole book it, it embraces kind of an adult learning model. 
um, of saying, whenever we learn, we, we need to actually take some sort of concrete action to deepen that learning. Uh, so the first half of the book, at the end of every chapter, are, are a lot of thought went into the exercises people do. So it's not just like a the standard, here's a list of questions to consider, but really a set of exercises to go through that help the learning form you more deeply. In the same way, when you when you identify, like, these are the fundamental rhythms I need in my life. And again, I, I assume by the end of the book, someone's going to have like just a, a list that's going to crush them. That's my <laughs> yes. assumption, right? Because their idealism is going to kick You're in. Right. Like, I'm going to do this, list. this, and this. And so I say, you know, if you have nothing to prove, like, yeah, what are the so what are the practices you need that if you didn't have this, your ability to follow Christ might be compromised. Yeah, and but to write that down and to put it somewhere, um, we're just such tactile, embodied creatures that these these activities, like even writing, like that's a practice. And in that moment, you're in faith, writing the things you you're saying. It's a, it's a prayer in a way. Like, Lord, I'm going to read my Bible five times a week using Lectio Divina. Let's say. Mm-hmm. It's an act of faith. You're writing it down and, and you're, you're putting it in front of you and you might fall short, uh, but it, it reminds you of um, the good aspiration and intention behind it. And so, yeah, the whole book is modeled on an adult learning format and we actually developed um, a free d- uh, digital companion that's a 10-week guide um, that helps groups go through it in a much deeper formative way. So it's not just, here's some additional questions. It's all of it is practice oriented of let's take the ideas of identity and here's a practice you can do together in a community group setting or a small group setting. And then we filmed um, stories of, of people who embody the ideas of each chapter. So anyone who wants to go through this with a group of people and in, in, in a more in-depth way, uh, that's a free resource uh, available on my website. Okay. So what is your website? And we'll, we'll end with that good direction. Sure. Uh, AlistairStern.com uh, slash rhythms, and then click on rhythms together. Awesome. Thank you so much, Alistair. Yeah, thank you, Karen. Thank you for listening. Check out more podcasts and subscribe to Faith Today magazine for free at faithtoday.ca. This podcast is produced by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. If you enjoyed it, please rate or share it.